Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days of you as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favour of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And from Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so thanks for having me today, guys. And um, I just wanted to say this is in no way an exhaustive or a complete account of everything there is to know about the eternity of God. Like, I don't think that's humanly possible, and I'm certainly not going to attempt that today. But I thought I'd just get you to think about oh, some of the amazing things about God uh, being eternal. What does it mean for God to be eternal, and what, why, is that, why should that matter to me? So that's basically the angle I'm going to take today. So, yep, so that's what we're going to do. And just, yeah, so if you're watching, uh, if you're here and here today, that's what we're going to do. If you're watching online, uh, that's what we're going to do. And welcome, if that's the case for you. Well, I thought I'd start today with a bit of a story, a bit more of a story about me. We've started to learn about me, but I thought I'd uh, talk about something that's relevant to this topic uh, that might get us thinking about it. So uh, I thought I'd tell you about when I was a young boy. In fact, around the age of my youngest son, which is a bit crazy, 
I shouldn't think about that for too long. <laughs> so uh, when I was five years old, uh, the, the age of my youngest son, Everett, I was terrified about death. Uh, and, you know, that's the kind of kid I was. I thought about things that maybe kids shouldn't think about. But uh, that's what I was like when I was young. So uh, I was less so terrified about death uh, as an idea itself, but more the idea of no longer existing. That's kind of what terrified me, and not being able to feel things anymore or live. So I remember when I was five years old, one night before bed, uh, I got so worked up about dying and no longer existing that I got up on my, me and my brother stayed in the same room, and I got up on his study desk and I was on my knees and I cried out, I don't want to die. <laughs> and I was crying. And at that moment, my brother was like, oh, Wayne, don't worry. Don't be silly. You're not going to die. Get down. And, uh, and that was really an interesting moment because my brother, for the most part, since he was six years older, uh, his role was to show me my place in life. He was pretty mean all the t- most of the time. But for that moment, he was actually pretty helpful. So you know, I really am thankful for my brother. But what freaked me out back then uh, was what got me thinking maybe that day about death was the TV. And, you know, a TV was a huge part of my, my life as a child. But, uh, but so I thought about it a lot. So whenever, if you remember back in how things used to be, when you turned off the TV, it used to be like, you know, like a switch, and you switch it off and the image would shrink up into a dot or a line in the middle of the screen and then it's gone. And it's like, oh, what happens next? So, and that just terrified me. Just even thinking about it now, this idea that, uh, maybe that's what life is like. At the end of my life, maybe God or someone else, whoever's in control, I wasn't sure back then, he'd turn off the switch and then I would disappear entirely from existence and maybe no one would remember me. Uh, that terrified me, uh, this idea of no longer being able to feel or experience anything. Well, some nights, so for the most part, you know, I've, got, uh, you know, I've progressed in my fear of that um, but at the same time, some nights I wake up uh, to go to the toilet or something and I'll feel the same way. And I don't know if you've experienced this yourselves as well. Uh, when I wake up at night, it's like one moment I'm not feeling or remembering anything, thinking about anything. And the next moment I feel something. And that terrifies me because one day uh, I won't feel something that next moment and I won't feel anything ever again. That freaks me out. So, um, so that's uh, a bit of a taste of uh, my fear of death and why you know, this topic is close to my heart. Well, I wonder if, if these kind of feelings and thoughts are thoughts that you've had. Are these fears things that you've had in your life or you have right now? Uh, sometimes you feel like you're on a time limit, that at some point you'll cease to exist entirely. Just like a TV image or a computer or a phone, which we never do anymore. We don't turn things off anymore. But, but, uh, but if you switched your phone off, gone. And it never turned back on again. Does that terrify you? Well, if that's you, the Bible actually has wonderful news for you. God is the wonderful news for you. Uh, God is wonderful news if you fear death. Uh, but right now, you might be wondering, oh, even if it's just in the back of your head, uh, what's so good about God? How can God help me with my fear of death and my fragility? Uh, what's so good about God and how can he help me? Well, the good news that I have for you is that God is not like us. God is eternal and he's the only one that can offer us eternal life. 
God is eternal and he's the only one who can offer us eternal life. He's the only one who can offer us something that's different. So since you've been going through the different attributes of God in your series, I thought I'd take you through one of my favorite attributes of God, uh, the idea that God is eternal. Uh, So that's what we're going to talk about today. But what does it mean that God is eternal? What does God being eternal mean? Well, the first thing it means is that God has always existed. Uh, So God has always existed even before time was created. But how do we know this? Well, there's many passages in the Bible about this, but the the one of the most significant ones is the ones I've Uh, The one I picked today, it's Psalm 90, uh, a psalm written by Moses himself. And uh, and it's certainly one of my favorites, um, just in how it engages with who we are as human beings and our state and what God wants to do with us uh, in this fragile state that we live in. Well, how does it teach us that God has always existed? That's what we're talking about. Even before time was created. Well, let's have a look at the first two verses. So let's have a look at the first two verses again. It's up on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but follow along in your Bibles as well. It says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So here Moses states that God has been a dwelling place for all generations, for all of his creation. It all depends on him. Uh, What Moses means is that uh, God has been someone that mankind has always been able to depend on. He's always been there for us uh, since we've existed in all generations of people. So his point is that uh, God is not dependent on mankind. In, In fact, the opposite. Mankind and everything is dependent on God. Mankind is utterly dependent on God, and this is how it's been since the beginning of mankind on the earth. And to emphasize this, Moses goes to say in verse 2, he says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So here Moses is referring to the oldest things we can think of as human beings, or human beings will generally see. What do we see around Well, we look around there on the horizons and most places in the world will be able to see mountains, right? Uh, Which since the beginning of humanity on earth, we've known that these gigantic structures known as mountains, they predate us uh, individually as people and more than likely they predate us uh, as as people in general. They predate all humanity. Uh, That's the case for most mountains. We might see a mountain forming in, say, in Hawaii or something like that, um, but we've never seen a mountain Uh, grow up into the gigantic structures they are today. Yet even before God made them, God was God. Even before God formed the earth and the world, he was God. And long after things perish in this world uh, that we see around us, uh, God is still going to be God. So Moses concludes that from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Meaning before God has created anything, God still was God. And long into the future, as far as we can possibly think of, uh, we can, he, he will still be God uh, all the way then. Well, let's just stop and think about that for a moment because it's not a small idea. 
God has been God as far back as any human being could ever possibly imagine. Right? That's a crazy idea. They used to keep me up at night. Uh, and God has been uh, God before earth was even created. And God has been God forever. Uh, that's as dramatic as Moses could have put it. Uh, and there's a reason for that because it is dramatic. It's astonishing. Uh, the fact that God has existed for so long and that God's existence is so vast ought to take your breath away just thinking about it, right? It's a bit like this. It's a bit like uh, looking at the Grand Canyon for the first time. It's funny that because I've never actually done it personally myself. Um, but has anyone actually done it in this room? Has anyone been to the Grand Canyon? I knew that Nigel had. I knew it. And then, uh, yep, so some people have seen it, and I'm sure your breath was taken away. If not, challenge me afterwards. Um, I'm happy to be challenged. But, yeah, so people say it takes your breath away. I've never personally been there, but I've been to the Blue Mountains. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a bit smaller, but, look, it's still pretty amazing. And the sheer waterfalls at Katoomba, that takes my breath away, that water can fall constantly, uh, multiple stories uh, on an ongoing basis. Has a similar effect. And uh, it makes you have a, take a deep breath. It takes your breath away, doesn't it? As you ponder how massive it is. But you might be asking, oh, why does this happen? Why do we do that? Why do we look at something or think about how God is uh, and the vastness of how God is and then our breath is taken away? Why does that happen? Well, it's a part of how God has wired us and how God has made us. Uh, when we grasp things that are incredible and vast and big, our uh, it takes our breath away because it's at this point we realize how small we actually are. We think a lot of ourselves, but when we compare ourselves uh, to something like the Grand Canyon or the world or the universe or how long God has existed, uh, we're pretty small when we think about it that way. The fact that we're even able to grasp the immenseness of God and eternity and big things uh, is amazing in itself. Well, God has always existed and God will always exist. Uh, in fact, how we know this is, uh, in, funny enough, how God introduces himself to Moses. When God speaks to Moses for the first time in Exodus 3.14, what does he call himself to, to Moses? He's like, oh, Moses says, oh, who, what should I call you to the Israelites? As if he needs to do that. But anyways, God chooses to reveal a name and that his name that he gives him is I am who I am. Or I am. So what's he saying? What's God saying at this point? Well, God is saying that in his very essence, he is the existing one. So in other words, it's more true to say that God exists than we exist. Because God has always existed. If there's anything that has existed ever in the universe, more than anything else, it's God. He's been around forever. That's why he says, I am. He has existed. He's the single entity that has existed longer than anything else in the universe. And he has the ability to continue to exist and outlast anything far beyond anything else in existence. As the Bible says, he is and was and who is to come. So that's what Revelation 1.8 says. That's not all it's saying, but it certainly is saying that. God has always been there, God is now, and God will always be. Well, God even existed before time itself. This is a big idea. 
Well, how do we know this? How do we know that God existed before time? We weren't there. Well, we know God existed before time because God created time. That's what we learn from God. God created everything and time came into existence according to the study of physics, the very moment God brought matter into existence or the very moment matter came into existence. But you might ask, how then can God exist if there's no matter? Well, uh, we learn in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, God is not matter. God is spirit. So what does that mean? Well, that means that God is not constrained by the rules of time since he is immaterial, unlike us. But the Bible tells us that before anything else was created, including time, God existed. God is without beginning and without end. Which means as as far as back as you go in history, well, God has always existed. And however far into the future you fast forward, say we we do invent a time machine one day, which I'm doubtful of, but we might, uh, and then we go into the future, guess who's going to be there? God. God is going to be there. At every single point you can go into the future. Well, when I was a child, so I said I'd talk about my old church. I was around nine or ten, I think, and my grandma would take me to church and I'd go along to Sunday school and my favourite thing to do at church was this. Uh, when I'd talk to the pastor or when I'd talk to the Sunday school teacher, uh, I'd love to ask this question. I thought I was so clever and it's similar to the one that Dan actually asked the kids to ask. So I used to ask, oh, if God made everything, well, who made God? And I'd love to see their reaction. They'd often just laugh or, uh, or not, just stumble or something like that. And uh, I thought I was so clever because no pastor or Sunday school teacher could give me an answer that, uh, that satisfied me. But the answer to that question is quite simple, really. God has no beginning and no end. And thinking back, they might have given me that answer, but I didn't accept it back then. I didn't understand it. Well, that's the answer. God, who... Who made God? Well, God didn't, wasn't made. In fact, he's the only thing in all existence to have this quality. Uh, the only one who has always existed and always will exist. I said it was simple, but it's actually quite hard to get your head around. And maybe that's why the pastors I asked didn't give me that answer. Or, or maybe that's why I don't remember, because it's so hard to grasp. Well, God existed before anything else which he created And so everything depends on God to exist. God is the pillar of all existence. So God does not depend on anyone else or anything else to exist. Uh, If you want to use fancy words, uh, he is self-existent. So that means that he doesn't depend on time to exist. Okay, so we've established that God exists before time and isn't constrained by time. But how does God experience time? Uh, Does God experience time like we do? Does he have to wait for things to happen? Uh, Well, the Bible would tell us that God doesn't experience time like us. And that's what we're going to talk about next. What does it mean that God is eternal? Well, it means that God experiences time different than we do. God experiences time differently than we do. We see this from a passage today in Psalm 90 verse 3 to 4. So... Uh, Let's have a look at there together. So it says, You you return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it was past, or as a watch in the night. 
Okay, well, what does this passage mean? Well, it's telling us that a large sum of time for us, like a thousand years, which is a long period of time, the longest period of time we generally think about, a unit of time that we'd never imagine living past, though right at the beginning of humanity they got pretty close, uh, but this is for us now ten generations, more than ten generations of people. Well, what is that like to God? Well, a thousand years is like nothing to God. It's like yesterday. It's like the passing of a single day. He can remember exactly what happened uh, or like a watch in the night, which is not even a few hours. It's not even the whole night. That's how brief a thousand years seems to God. And this is certainly not the way that we experience life, even if we had... You know, even if we were having lots of fun. You know how people say, oh, time flies when you're having fun. Well, uh, it does fly, but you're actually like, it doesn't actually go any faster when you're having fun. It just feels like it. Also, when you reflect back, maybe you're a bit older and you reflect back of the past, it's like, oh, where'd the time go? It was so fast. But it's not actually that it went fast. It's just that you, you, don't, you don't seem to remember it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that's what mankind is like. Mankind are like what in the passage? We're like dust. One moment we're there and the next moment we're swept away by God with a breath, with a few words. That's what the passage says. So what is being emphasized here is the fact that we exist uh, but a brief moment in time. But God, on the other hand, he'll outlast all of us. He has always existed long before we ever existed and will exist far beyond any one of us uh, will be around anymore, which is a sad reality, but the truth. Yet God remembers a thousand years as if it just were yesterday. And a brief moment, uh, a brief period of a few hours in a night, that's what it seems like, a thousand years for God. Yet for mankind, what are we like, on the other hand? Well, we barely live for a second of that time. How could we possibly remember what happens in a thousand years when we struggle to remember what happened yesterday or last week. Uh, we couldn't possibly comprehend all that happens in a thousand years. Think about that. If you lived for a thousand years, you would have seen Vikings invading England, you know, and all the things that happened between world wars, all kind of things. That would blow our minds. We could not remember all of that. Or to put it a different way, it's a little bit like this. Suppose it's like a small uh, two-year-old child, right? What they, certainly, what they know is certainly a lot, you know. They know that that's a phone. They don't know it's the wrong way. <laughs> but, uh, so, but that's nothing compared to someone like an 80-year-old, uh, an 80-year-old man or woman who has lived through many seasons, many stages in life, wars, societal changes, and gained an immense amount of knowledge from, about the world around them, even forgotten a lot of information about the world around them. Um, I learned this while I was a nurse. So some of you know, I used to be a registered nurse. I work in Gosford Hospital, in fact. And when I used to look after small children in the children's ward, I'd have to think about what kind of things they did know about the world, you know, and in order to help them understand what I'm saying and get them to do the things that they needed to do. Uh, but when I spent time looking after older people, uh, people who had, been, had served in wars, and I didn't look after people like that, and they lived in times that I basically knew nothing about, they could spend hours telling me about how the world was and how it's changed and what it was like. But even then I could see that there was a limit to their knowledge. 
but there's no limit to what God knows about how things have changed in the world ever since it was created. He knows all of it. He remembers all of it in vivid, uh, just like it was yesterday. In other places in the Bible, it also explains that God also experiences time the opposite way as well. So a long period of time is like a short period of time to God, but a short period of time seems like an eternity to God as well at the same time. Only God is able to experience time like this, uh, teaching us that God at the same time experiences the slowness of e- a time in each individual moment in ultra-high definition. I imagine God would need to do this in order to make each moment do exactly what he wants it to. But then again, he is God and he can do anything he wants. So uh, he only needs, he, he could make everything happen exactly how it should at breakneck speeds if he wanted to. I'm not sure exactly how it works. Uh, it's, like, uh, it's like when time stops. So um, you might see this in movies. This movie here is one of the X-Men movies. I can't remember which one, but uh, it's a good one. So uh, what, what's happening in this movie is people are able to sl- stop or slow down time. And this person's able to slow down time because he can move so fast. And he's able to watch uh, an event pass in slow motion. And so much so... And it, He's able to manipulate things. So prison people, people are escaping a prison and he's able to redirect, you know, the guns of the prison guards. So they're able to manipulate small things so they happen and turn out exactly the way they want it to. So, you know, Superman can do this kind of thing. The Flash, um, they can experience time or stop time and experience it in slow motion. Well, how God experiences time is, is a bit like that is it's in stark contrast to how we experience time. So we're subject to how time is, you know. We don't get to decide how quickly time goes, except on YouTube when you can fast speed things up but, uh, or slow it down. But, uh, but we, we uh, have to experience time as it is. As the saying goes, time waits for no one. But God is not like that. So we read in Psalm 90 verse 3, uh, we exist but a blip of time on this earth. Uh, then God returns us to dust not long after we're born. Well, why is this? Why do we experience time differently to God? Well, according to physics, uh, time was created at the same time as matter. Uh, So theologians argue from that that God does not experience time as a succession of moments. And that's kind of a crazy idea, and I might need to give you a bit of time to think about that. But, um, but God does not experience moment after moment. God experiences all moments at once. Uh, that's what they hypothesize God experienced time like. Why is that? Well, it's because God is transcendent over time. He's not ruled by time. He rules time, which means that he's above time and not subject to it in the same way we are. We operate in a, a reality where, um, in an in a existence where t- moments happen one after another. But God doesn't live in that, uh, that existence. In fact, it's subject to him. Time is subject to him. God, God, so God cannot be measured or defined by the standards of time. Uh, these things are irrelevant to God. God is eternal and lives in it uh, eternally, not in t- time alone, which is what we are. Yet God has graciously give us, given us the ability to, to, to comprehend these things. So we don't live in eternity but we kind of have this a little bit of understanding of what that might look like. So we learn about this in Ecclesiastes 3.11, a famous verse. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. So we have some understanding of how eternity works, um, but we don't really understand how God works at the same time. So, uh, but since God exists outside of time and isn't constrained by it, does God just treat us like a, a child observing his pet ants from outside his ant farm? Uh, well, no, he doesn't do that. He's not unable or unwilling to enter time to interact with us. He, uh, this isn't what it means for God to be eternal. Uh, it's not like that at all. In the Bible, we see the opposite. Uh, we see uh, that God chooses to interact and relate to us in time, though we're not eternal. God chooses to interact and relate with us in time, though we're not eternal. Uh, we see this in the rest of the passage today, so we'll move through the rest of the passage quite quickly now. In our passage today, we see that the brevity of our lives is, in fact, uh, has a purpose. Uh, and it has a purpose of helping us to interact with God. Um, and how God, It's how God chooses to interact with us as human beings and serves as a constant lesson and reminder that we have sinned against God and we're not in right relationship with him. So we'd see this in verse 5 to 11. I said we'd move quickly, so we will now. Moses says this about God. He says, You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. Uh, we bring our years to an end with a sigh. The, ends, the years of our lives are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. As soon as they are gone, we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to your fear? Okay, so what is this passage teaching us? Well, it teaches us that our, li- uh, our lives are brief and fragile and it teaches us that God makes them our lives brief and fragile to teach us something to teach us to fear him he makes our lives 70 or 80 years at best to teach us to fear God uh, well, well yeah or, or slightly, yeah we'll be on that but not much beyond that uh, but yes God does bless us as well <laughs> to teach us that something is fundamentally wrong with the way the life is on in the world today right We can't go much beyond that. We've sinned against God and God is constantly unfolding his wrath and judgment on us for choosing to rebel against him. By choosing to live life as as though we didn't need him, uh, as if we'd known better uh, than God for how we should live our lives, uh, God is using uh, this brevity of our lives and the frailty of our human condition, our bodies, to teach us to pay attention to him to fear and respect him. But not only that, our passage today also teaches us that God wants to intervene in our lives and uh, to make the most of our short lives, right? How amazing is that? He wants to offer us uh, some of his infinite wisdom, which he possesses. He's lived, he's been around forever. He knows things. Uh, He knows how things work. And he wants to to use that knowledge to help us uh, to make the most of our lives and make them as enjoyable as possible. He wants us to to help us to live our lives in a way that he made us to live, uh, to live lives that glorify him and achieve his purposes that he made us for. 
We hear about this in the rest of the passage. In 12 to 17, where Moses is praying to God, he asks God for the best things we could do in light of this reality, that we don't live long lives, but God has been around forever. He asks this. He asks that he give us human beings purpose in our short lives on earth. He says, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. So return, O Lord, in favor is what he means. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as you have, we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord be our, uh, our uh, of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So this passage teaches us that God, though he is eternal and he wants to intervene in time, in, uh, in the course of our lifetimes, uh, that we might uh, be glad to glorify him because he loves us and he is a good creator. He's a good God. He's a good father because he's our creator. But that's not all. God doesn't want to just leave us here to die alone, uh, though we fully deserve this because we've sinned against him. Uh, but God wants to help us. And God, we know that God wants to do this because he chose to enter into time as a human being. The eternal God entering into time as a human being, a mortal, uh, who experiences time uh, like us in order to reconcile us to himself so that we might join him in eternity. Uh, God chooses to enter time as a human being. Uh, who, who's that human being? Well, it's, it's Jesus. We see this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11, which says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So have this mindset. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him in the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this passage teaches us that God in the man, Jesus Christ, was willing to forsake his eternal nature to humble himself to being born a man subject to time and frailty forever in order to die on a cross for our sin in obedience to his eternal father in order to glorify God on our behalf so we didn't do what was right but he came and lived the right life yet he died in our place this is a fulfillment in a way I was surprised by this but Moses asked God to bring back his favor upon mankind but I didn't realize this when I was looking at it but this is actually an answer to what Moses was praying. Jesus is an answer to what Moses was praying. So have a look with me in Psalm 90, verse 13 to 17. Uh, how is this an answer to Moses' prayer? Well, it's an answer to Moses' prayer in a way that far exceeds his expectations. So let's have a look. Jesus coming into the world to die for sin was God returning to mankind in favor. He's like, how long, Lord? Well, this long. As long, as long until Jesus came. Finally, it was God satisfying us with his steadfast love in verse 14. 
that we might rejoice and be glad all our days because we are no longer have to die if we trust in Jesus. It is God making us glad as many days, much more days, in fact, than he has afflicted us and seen evil because he will give us eternal days, eternal life. It is God showing his work to his servants, his glorious power to the children of his servants. Verse 16, it is God showing favor to his people, establishing the works of his hands upon us. By establishing, Moses is asking God to make fruitful or meaningful the things that we do. That at least what we do in our lives, though it's brief, might have some significance to God uh, in eternity. But God goes on, uh, goes one further, and he doesn't only give us that significance in God's plans for the world, but he offers people a place, the opportunity to live in relationship with God forever in eternity. People can have significance in eternity with God by living in relationship with God for eternity. That's amazing. But this might sound outlandish to you if it's maybe the first time you've heard about it. Uh, You might ask, are you sure that God wants to do something like this? This is like too good to be true. Well, nowhere else in the Bible is it spelt out more clearly than this passage. We all know it. It's John 3.16 where Jesus himself says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How amazing is that? That's why we love this passage, because it shows us that amazing truth that Jesus came to give us eternal life, what we deep down inside want, every human being. That God is not just eternal and beyond our reach and doesn't care, but he wants us to share eternity with him forever. That's amazing. Well, I've said a lot of things about God and how he's eternal and what that might mean. But what do we do with that? You know, there's a lot of stuff to to digest. Well, here's some things I recommend that you do. Uh, We need to know a few things. We need to know that God has all the credentials of someone you'd want to put your trust in, right? In fact, you'd be foolish not to. God has the credentials of one of the most trustworthy people in history. He's been running history since before uh, before time began, and it's been going great, uh, so we can trust him. And, uh, and God has thought it all out, he's planned it all out, he's been, he's been there the whole time, uh, and made uh, everything happen exactly how he wanted it to. Uh, so obviously, sometimes God makes things happen and we're not happy with it, but there's a, that's a separate issue, and, and the Psalms talks about that a lot, so I encourage you to have a look at that. But, okay, so God, uh, that's why we should trust God. And on the other hand, what are people like? What are people like? Why should we not trust people compared to God? Well, people, uh, we lack concentration and memory, even though make the most, uh, most things in our life go the way that we want. Uh, in fact, we can't even remember what, what happened like last week. But God is not like that. God in each moment is vividly there. He vividly experiences it and he remembers it and he knows it. He's watching and controlling every moment, bringing it to pass exactly how he wants. It's good to know that there's good hands on the job, right? God's hands are on the job and he's securing each moment and he makes sure that it goes exactly how it should. So we can trust that things will turn out how they're supposed to, even when things don't seem to be in control or that, you know, humanly speaking. So what should we do? Well, we should trust him. You wouldn't rather anyone else in existence uh, 
you know, control things. No one else can do his job. So that's the first thing to know. The second thing to know is that God is eternally powerful. Uh, He's our eternally powerful creator, and he wants to help us. He wants to intervene in time. So ask him for help. Uh, How best to live your life, how to make the most out of life, how to make sure it goes well uh, in the short time that we have for it to achieve the purposes that he created for it. Know that human beings are frail, but why, why is that? What's that meant to do? Well, it's meant to help lift our eyes to God uh, and to, to ask him for help. Know that God is in his steadfast love and mercy and goodwill and he wants to bless us and assist mankind to make most of life uh, that we might live lives that achieve the purposes he's created for them. So ask God for help. Nobody else can help you like he can. He's the most qualified person in existence to help you. Uh, and he literally has endured the test of time. He has seen it all and he knows best. And lastly, he's eternal. How can he help us? Well, God is eternal. He's the only being in existence capable of offering us eternal life. He's the only eternal being and be, can be counted upon uh, to be around, to sustain us eternally. No one else is going to hang around and help us like he is. Uh, so it's reasonable to believe that he's the only person in existence who can give us eternal life. And know that this is what he wanted to do. It's not, it's not that we're trying to get him to do something that he wasn't, doesn't want to do. Uh, that's why he sent his son, remember, into the world. He sent uh, him into the world to offer us eternal life. Know that if you believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life and enter into eternal relationship with an eternal God. Well, uh, as I well, remember at the start of the talk, uh, the sermon today, uh, we started with my fear of death. And I'm sure you all feel it from time to time. It's as, this is normal. This is natural. Death is something we all have to face one way or another. But amidst this terrifying reality, what hope can we have? What hope can we have in God? What's so good about God? How can he help me? Well, today we reminded that God is eternal. That's what he has to offer to us. Uh, He is the only one who can offer us eternal life. So let's pay attention to what God created death in this world for. That is to lift our eyes, to direct us towards God who we've sinned against, to accept him on his offer to give us eternal life through his son, to enjoy relationship with him forever. Well, I'd love to chat to you about that if that's something you want to chat about afterwards. And I'm sure Dan or Rob would love to chat to you about that and others. So, um, so make sure you do that. Uh, this is important stuff. Well, how about I finish by thanking God for who he is and that we would together put our trust in him in our area of greatest need. Uh, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for uh, who you are that you are eternal, and we thank you so much that you've thought this out. Uh, you are what we need, and you've created within us a desire to, for the eternal. Um, but though nothing else in this world can offer us that, you want to offer us that. But Lord, we're so distracted. I pray that you might help us to remember this fact, that you want to help us with our most fundamental area of need. We are finite. We will die. We don't even know how long we'll be around. But Lord, you... You can sustain us eternally if we accept Jesus, your son, who uh, offers us eternal life. 
So Lord, I pray that we might consider that carefully, that we might, uh, that might give us hope, and that we might share about that with others, uh, and that we might uh, work this out with you, Lord, if it's something that's new to us, that we might uh, accept something uh, that's, uh, that we actually want and you want to offer us. So we thank you, Lord, for who you are, and uh, yeah, we pray that you'd help us to understand that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.